Yeah. So, uh, and, and a beautiful time of prayer. Thank you, Stan, for, for just uh, the call to, uh, to come back together and Debbie uh, working on the National Day of Prayer. Uh, and uh, folks, uh, uh, we, uh, myself included, myself included, have yet to discover the full, the full impact of, uh, of the power of prayer. <laughs> Uh, we know that it works. We know that it's effective. So why can't we, why can't we uh, participate more in that time of communion? And uh, you know what, folks, it isn't. Uh, please don't think we're telling God what to do uh, when we go to prayer. But it's a great way of finding out what he's doing. Isn't it? Yeah. And becoming a part of it. See, that, that's the key. It isn't that prayer moves the hand of God. It's the prayer puts us in his hand when he moves. And, and we find out how he wants to use his people, uh, his, his church, in carrying out his will and his plan. What a privilege and, and what power there is uh, in the discipline. And I call it a discipline of prayer. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we, we do come returning to the throne of grace. And may we, in some sense, never leave the throne of grace. May we just abide there as we live out this thing called life. But Father, we do have special concerns this morning just to, uh, just to talk about with you for this time, for the Nielsen family and, and for others. Uh, uh, of course, the Doss family, and, and my goodness, there's been so much loss in, uh, in, our, in our community, in our church, and and Father, we just pray that uh, these families and everyone will, will just experience your grace, your mercy, and the comfort and care that only the Holy Spirit can bring. Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us through the great and indescribable gift of your Son, for the salvation that is ours through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, for the hope that is ours through our eternal destiny and glory. And Father, not just for the then after, but for the right now, the hope that we have, the joy that we share, the fellowship that we embrace. Father, be glorified in and through this body of believers and help us, Father, through our time of study this morning that your word will speak volumes and our hearts will be changed. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen, amen. And I also want to just add to uh, uh, the invite, if I may, for the school play, please, a one-act play this Friday and Saturday, uh, 7 p.m., supper at 5.30, right? Okay, get that right. But folks, what a wonderful way to spend an evening I mean, Topeka Civic Theater don't have nothing on us. I mean, these kids have just poured their hearts into this, and uh, we uh, want to thank Pastor Stone. He, you know, wrote the play and uh, helped him with the production, and, and they have just poured their heart and soul into this, and it's going to be good. A dinner theater right here at Grace Community Church. It don't get any better than that. And what a beautiful way to support the ministry of Community Christian School. In his best-selling book, The Greeting of America, Charles Reich writes, Modern living 
has obliterated place, locality, and neighborhood and given us the anonymous separateness of our existence. The family, the most basic social system, has been ruthlessly stripped to its functional essentials. Friendship has been coated over with a layer of impenetrable artificiality. Protocol, competition, hostility, and fear have replaced the warmth of the circle of affection which might sustain man against a hostile environment. America has become one vast, terrifying anti-community to which Michael Scott Horton responds, are our churches exempt? Our churches are one of the last bastions of community, and yet they do not escape individualism. Many of us drive to church, listen to the sermon, say hello to our circle of friends, and return home without ever having really experienced community. Earlier evangelicalism was so focused on corporate spirituality that communion was taken with a common cup. We hear endless sermons on spiritual gifts and unity and how the body of Christ is supposed to operate in concert, and yet our services often are made up of the professionals who entertain us and the individual, separate believers who are entertained. I pray that never happens here. But it certainly happened in our world today. The title of today's message is The Imperfect Perfect Church, or The Perfect Imperfect Church, however you want to phrase it. The Perfect Imperfect Church. What do I mean by that? Folks, we must never forget that we are the body of believers, every individual believer, in in concert with the community of believers globally, We are the bride of Christ. Now, folks, we need to pay attention to that. If we are the bride of Christ, then we are God's chosen people for union with his son. Be careful how you talk about the bride of Christ. Be careful. Be careful with our criticisms of the body of Christ. Remember, We may be imperfect, but we are the perfect bride. And we need to honor the bride of Christ by honoring and respecting each other. All that we are and all that we'll ever be spiritually is because of the perfections of Christ in us and on our behalf. God sees every believer through the blood of his son. God sees the church in all of her splendor and glory as his son's bride. Somebody say amen. The beauty and blessings of unity. Today's topic from the 133rd Psalm. And we might say as a counterpoint, there will be no beauty or blessings in a divided church. Let's stand for the reading of God's word this morning, the 133rd Psalm. It is the 14th of 15 Psalms of Ascent, which means we have one more. 
And we're coming to kind of the crescendo, although these psalms have always run in, in cycles, in repetitive cycles, we're down to the final one. And there's just a, just a little bit of a high note, there seems, as we come to the pinnacle of this. Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew from Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. Father, three short verses that speak volumes. Give us ears to hear, Almighty God. Give us hearts to receive and be willing to submit to the conformity of your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Have you ever participated in group travel? Even in the family unit, families getting together and going on a road trip. It's a beautiful thing for the most part. Are we there yet? How much longer? And then, of course, you got the children. I got to go to the bathroom. We just stopped. Suffer. This is fun. (laughs) And then, of course, you go on the bus trip. You know? And now the family grows. And there's just as many opinions as there are participants in how fast we're driving and how much traffic there is and how, and it just goes on and on. Traveled many times overseas with groups. Anybody traveled overseas with groups? It can be hard. And I mean that sincerely, it can be hard. When, when, when we would go to Israel, you know, we'd, we'd leave. Uh, we'd basically fly all night uh, to get into Tel Aviv. And by the time you arrive there the next morning, it's night. Right? Because you just lost seven hours of flight time. And you know what? You're tired. You're tired. And when we'd hit the ground in, in Tel Aviv, uh, well, we were headed for, we started the tour <laughs> that night. <laughs> so it's hard. It can be challenging traveling together, family trips. We eat together. We, you know, well, I don't know, sleep together. Uh, better watch out with that one. Uh, but <laughs> it can be hard, can it? People. I've told so many young pastors and many, and I'm sure I've told Adam, I said, you are going to love ministry. Ministry is an absolute blast until other people get involved. (laughs) But you know, it's all about love. It's all about love, loving one another. Because Christ loves his church, folks. Christ loves his church. He died for her And he lives 
for her. Rejoice, church. We are the bride of Christ. Well, this whole travel illustration is what was happening in the annual feast of Jerusalem. The people would travel to Jerusalem for the feast with their neighbors, family, relatives. And notice uh, relatives are last. And as they drew closer to Jerusalem, more and more people would come together from all directions, people from different regions and different tribes, but all coming together for one common purpose, to worship the Lord. Can you, can you picture it now? Thousands, thousands of people, three times a year, pouring into Jerusalem, singing these psalms of ascent that we just went through and bringing to a close here next week. There are few things as precious in this world as believers living together in unity, folks, because the world is a very divided place. And we are be the antithesis of that. We are to stand apart from the divisions of the world and stand in unity. Psalm 133 tells us three things about living together. It tells us of the goodness of living together in unity. It tells us of the source of that unity. And then it tells us of the blessings of living together in unity. Let's begin our journey, and we're going to get a good dose of Old Testament text today. Because until we really at least get some insight into the Old Testament application, we'll never understand the fullness of the New Testament revelation. The first point to consider, the peace of being in unity. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And, and some texts repeat the how. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity as opposed to how bad and how unpleasant it is when brothers dwell in disunity. I added that. That's not in the text. Okay. How good, how pleasant it is when we dwell in unity is good. It is good because it reflects the heart of God. God is good, and his goodness will endure forever. It will. His mercies, it reflects God's heart and purpose in his people. It is pleasant because it makes life together as God's people so much more enjoyable, amen, than seasons when Constant bickering and conflict dominate. How good, how pleasant. I would add this, not everything that is good is pleasant. Not everything that is pleasant is necessarily good. But unity among God's people is so remarkable with such blessings, it is both pleasant and both good. Indicated by the repetition of how unity in a sense, is a doctrinal position and demonstrated in the Godhead. Unity is an attribute of God, which he can share or communicable attribute. This attribute ought to be our attitude. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three distinct persons in one, is the portrait and standard of unity. The church Countless believers from countless backgrounds, races, creeds, ethnicity, experiences coming together in one spiritual body called the church. What a plan. 
Only God could design such a complex thing to end up being so simple. So simple. I love some versions of the text. One, one text translates, instead of unity, it says harmony. How many have that in their text? Does anybody look? Just out of curiosity. Harmony. Randy, you got it. Yeah. Oh, right there. Virginia, you got it right there. Yeah. You guys will have to share the prize. Just a minute. Is the mic on over here? Harmony. Uh-oh. How many F-sharps do we have in the room? You see, the diff- that's called dissonance. There's harmony and there's dissonance. There's, there's, Mac, you know harmony. You, you and your beautiful bride, you've sang in so many quartets. And what, what happens if somebody's singing an F-sharp during that, that C and that D? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. See, that's the difference. One is pleasant. Did that one with the off key, did that sound that pleasant? Didn't it just kind of go, ooh, ooh. Have you ever met any people like that? Watch out. Watch out. Acts 2 tells us, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Is that the blessings of unity and harmony? God will bless unity and harmony. He will not bless division and dissonance. As a Christian, you don't get to choose whether you're going to be a part of the family of God or not. You don't get to choose. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're part of this family called the church. So the only question remaining is how will you live as part of the family of God? Will you contribute to her unity or present division? There's an old poem that goes like this, author unknown. To live above with saints we love, oh, that will be such glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. There is peace in being unified. The psalmist goes on to tell us that there is power in being sanctified. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. 
It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. You see, this is about the source of our unity. This is the blessings described. Where does this beautiful, good, pleasant, brotherly, and sisterly love and peace come from? You don't get it from this world, folks. We don't get it from this world. Our psalm answers that question by giving us two images. Living together in unity is like oil poured on Aaron's head. Now here's where we're going to pitch our tent in just a little bit because this is so beautiful, so magnificent. We, we just got to spend a little time uh, understanding what this means. Living together is like that oil and living together in unity is like the dew from Hermon falling on Mount Zion. Notice there is a downward movement in both of these images from high to lower. In both these images, the blessing comes from above, then pours down on us. It starts high and then moves downward. And so in this section of the psalm, is telling us that God is the source of living together in unity. It doesn't come from this world. That's on this plane. God lives on this plane. Does that make sense? And it doesn't come from this world at all. Living together as unity is a gift of God's grace. And if we're not in unity, then we are literally abusing his grace. We have to go back in Scripture to find out why these illustrations are so critical to our understanding. The unity comes from God. It's not just like an old, old oil. It is precious, precious oil. And it wasn't just a dabble do it. It ran down, ran down over his face, down his beard, dripping onto the collar of his robe. He was, he was immersed in oil, literally. Precious oil and not just a little. What's that thing a little dab will do you? How old are you folks? Uh, everybody that's young girl just have to ask somebody what real cream is. You know. You don't use it very much. I don't either. Uh, I used to use butch wax. Yeah, remember the old flat tops? And you'd put a little butch wax on the front to make it stand up. Robert, you wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> It ran down all over Aaron. What was Aaron? He was a priest. He was a priest. Now, don't forget that. The phrase running down appears twice in these verses. And when it appears a third time in verse 3, where it's translated as falling. In other words, God's blessings flow down to us from heaven. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, James 1 and 17. Living together in unity is a good gift to be received from God. It was not only precious oil, it was sacred oil, a special recipe. Listen to these words from Exodus chapter 29, please. Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and shall take its blood, and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces, and wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces in its head, and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. 
It is a pleasing aroma. Don't miss that. I want you to hold on to that thought right there. Pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the other ram and Aaron and his sons and shall lay their hands on the head of the ram and you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his sons, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on their great toes of their right feet, and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar, and the anointing oil, anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy." Wow. And his sons and his sons' garments with him. Oh, listen, brothers and sisters, it gets gooder. Exodus chapter 30. And the Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing. Listen to this. Oh, man, this is good. I get, I'm wound up again. This is good. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of the meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and a stand. You shall consecrate them. What's that mean? Consecrate. Set apart. Set apart. That they may be most Holy. Whoever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout all generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. How many have read this text? Yeah, a few, but Listen, it shall not be poured on an ordinary person. This is for God's chosen. These are for people of God. It's not just everybody's oil. And you shall make no other like it in composition. In other words, this recipe is to be used for nothing else. Nothing else. It is strictly made and blended for the consecration of the priest. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, statia and onica and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each shall there be an equal part. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it in very small and put part of it before the testimony of the, of the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy. How many times have we heard that? most holy for you and the incense that you shall make according to its composition you shall not make for yourselves it shall be for you holy to the Lord whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people you see how specific God was in this 
Guys, this is huge. This oil is special. It is not to be abused. It is to be abused for holy purposes only. And the oil on Aaron's head was like the oil of, was the oil of consecration. And it symbolized his separation from evil. It was the oil of holiness. We're making progress. Stay with me. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. You shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his son, sacred oil for the sanctification of his saints now comes through the regenerating, sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. He is the oil of consecration. He is the oil of cleansing and separation. He is the oil of holiness. Brothers and sisters, this is huge. It's huge. Sacred, special, ordained describes Christian fellowship. Hello. That's the church. That's the church. Flowing, running down. The blessings flow from the head to the beard to the robe. It gets the whole body. Listen to what Peter has to say. But you are a chosen race, I will add. And you are a royal priesthood. And you are a holy nation. And you are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are the priesthood of all believers. We are the priesthood of believers, folks. We are the priesthood of believers. We are not just, now, now I'll be careful of this because I don't want us thinking we get any glory for this. <laughs> please, please don't go there. God gets the glory, Christ gets the glory, the Holy Spirit gets the glory for all of this, but we are not just, as the Bible said, ordinary or outside people. We're not. We have been consecrated, anointed with the oil of separation, the oil of the Holy Spirit raining down, and you got saturated the minute you said yes to Jesus Christ. And please note this, the oil had a special fragrance, unlike any other, sweet and good and pleasant, forbidden to be used for any other purpose, right? Do not use this for common purposes. Do not use this as a perfume. Do not abuse or violate these holy principles. And everywhere the people, God's people went, they smelled good. They smelled good. You think that's unique to the Old Testament? Listen. But thanks be to God, Paul writes in his second letter to the church at Corinth, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us, all right, everybody awake, and through us spreads the fragrance, huh? The fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Next. For we are the 
aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other the fragrance from life to life. We smell good. Be careful you don't stink. Guys, the brothers, my friends, my brothers and sisters, oh, I love you so much. Do you get this? There is, there is everything that, that God had, had established in these Old Testament passages from the Levitical law, all of these things that he had established as pure and holy and right, they didn't change. They were fulfilled in Christ and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The principles are still the same. Without holiness, we will not, nor will anyone else ever see God. Praise God for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness. And it is like the dew. Now we're to the dew. We're going to do the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion. Mount Hermon is the source of the Jordan River. Stay with me. It has snow caps. It's about 14,000 feet, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood. In the northeast mountain range of Israel today, today, and feeds the dry deserts of southern Israel. It all starts in the mountain ranges of Mount Hermon. The dew, the moisture, the snow, everything is coming. Where's it coming from? Down. down. It's coming down from Mount Hermon into northern Israel and would soon reach the Sea of Galilee. And then out of the Sea of Galilee, it continues to flow south all the way down to the lowest point on earth, a place called the Dead Sea. It all starts with a little dew and a little moisture and it runs down and gives life. You see it? Gives life to the entire nation before it's expended and spent and dumps in to the Dead Sea. It gives life to a desolate land. And I am here to tell you this morning, only Christ can give life to your desolate life. Only Christ can sanctify us and unify us. Unified, sanctified, satisfied. Satisfied. The blessings distributed. For there the Lord has commanded the blessings, life forever. The Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The blessing of unity is something God commands, something the previously cited in the New Testament, John 17, Romans 12. John and, and Christ's high priestly prayer concluded with these words, I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now he's talking past the apostles, past the disciples, into the future, the church, the people of God, all who will be saved through the preaching of the word of God, that they may all be one, just as you, 
Father are in me and I in you. Here's the unity of the Godhead in Jesus' prayer right here. They, they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you had given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one in I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Do you hear how important it is? Part of our testimony to the world, a great part of our testimony to a lost and dying, divided world is our unity. Our oneness testifies to the grace and the power of the living God. Romans 12, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends. Live peaceably with everyone. Brothers, what a challenge. What a command. And what a God who's made it possible to do that very thing. Spurgeon wrote, Oh, for more of this rare virtue... Not the love which comes and goes, but that which dwells. Not that spirit which separates and secludes, but that which dwells together. Not that mind which is all for debate and difference, but that which dwells together in perfect unity. All that to say this, living in unity is simply a foretaste of heaven. It's a foretaste of heaven. And all of the petty little differences that most often affect the church today will be no more. Will be no more. So why don't we prepare today and be better prepared for heaven? by getting rid of any petty little differences that we might hold today. Or whatever division or differences there may be. Now listen, very quickly. Unity does not mean uniformity. Okay? It does mean uniformity. So be careful that our expectation of other people is to be just like me. (laughs) No, that's the uniqueness and beauty of the body of Christ. We're all different. And we bring different gifts and different personalities and different things into the church which makes us the body of Christ. But Christian unity is only experienced through our common relationship with Christ and the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way it'll happen. If you are at odds with another believer, you are at odds with Jesus Christ himself and in rebellion to the Holy Spirit's work in you. Division and dissension is a spiritual relational problem. Get right with each other and be right with Christ. Folks, this world needs the testimony of the church. It desperately needs the testimony of the church and a life that emulates that testimony, demonstrates that testimony. Not just the creeds we speak, which are sound and proper, but the life that we live in unity 
and harmony for one purpose and one purpose alone to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we've covered a lot of ground today. We've looked at a lot of text. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful seeing how you orchestrated through centuries of time and generations of people your perfect plan of revelation that it would all lead up to Christ and what he would accomplish and the Holy Spirit after him. Everything, everything from Genesis 1 was leading to that point. Everything. And all that we'll ever need and all that we'll ever be will be found in our relationship with Christ. And if we focus on our relationship with your son, then I will guarantee and believe with all of my heart that our relationships with each other will only grow and grow and grow and get better and better and better. Thank you for your infinite grace, your mercy, your compassion, as you take a bunch of imperfect people and make the perfect church out of us. To you be all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have never experienced, and I mean that in a very real way, what was described through the text in the anointing of Aaron, I am here to tell you, salvation is very much just like that. It is inexplicable. Something magnificent, something beyond our comprehension at that moment, when we repent and call Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there is something heavenly that occurs that only the born-again believer can describe. Aaron's picture, the portrait of Aaron with the oil saturating his head, running down and dripping off of his beard, soaking his altar, his, his robe, the collar of his robe, and then his robe, the holiness of God. And all of a sudden you say, I've changed. I've changed. I can't explain it right now. I don't know all just happened to me, but I know this. I'm slicker than snot with all this oil on me. And nothing ever is the same again. Nothing ever is the same again. And nothing will ever satisfy more than what just happened at that moment. Holy Spirit, rain down. Pour the oil. Pour out the oil on this church this morning.